I'm Dr. Gene Hemsler, and you're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. For more than 25 years, my associates and I have been providing straightforward, no-nonsense advice for your financial questions. Email us at drgene at hemsler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired December 1st, 2018. The economic health of this nation has been four essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline in the dollar is It's a late rally on Wall Street. Too big to fail. Growing the economy. Growing the economy. It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning, good morning. You are listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running most respected money show on radio. I am your host this weekend, Nick Antonucci, uh, joined today by Jennifer Thomas, CFP, and Dan Deluzio, CPA. So we got a well-rounded team for you this weekend, somebody from research, someone from P&I, a planner, and uh, someone from tax. All right. So we should be able to knock out every question with a comprehensive answer, right, guys? Very good. Yeah, that's exactly all the difficult we'll questions keep our we fingers get in crossed here. anyway. That's right. Um, it's been kind of a crazy week. Had some comments out of Jay Powell that set markets higher for the first time in what seems like you know a month, two months. Mm-hmm. People started getting concerned. Je- Jennifer, I'm not sure how many clients uh, you guys had upstairs call uh, concerned when we did have a 10% correction, 10.17% right. in the S&P 500. Typically, when we when we see that, you know, clients start to call in and, and panic and. Should I be selling? What's going on? And it's important we try and reassure everybody that, hey, you know, it's a correction. It's a 10% correction. On average, this happens once a year. And we expect it. We do expect those to happen. So I think it's, you know, a lot of times it's just educating um, and letting people know that it's okay and that, you know, it's not anything that we feel is going to cause a widespread panic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of times it, it, it's situations like this that are a great time to step back and, and look at how you're invested and say, okay, well, I know last time we reviewed my uh, investment policy statement, I said I was willing to take on this much risk, but we just had a 10% pullback, and I'm concerned. Maybe you don't want to take as much risk on as as Mm -hmm. you thought at the time when things were going up, up, up. Um, You know, we talked about a lot, maybe, uh, you know, the right time to rebalance your portfolio. And we saw tech as the high flyers for the longest time in the year, and and those were hit the hardest. You had the NASDAQ pull back more than 15%. Um, as tech got beaten down harder. So had you, you know, when valuations got pretty stretched there, had you rebalanced, you would have fared better when things did pull back as tech led the way down. Some of your more defensive sectors that had been beaten up held up better. Yeah, and I also think, you know, with clients that follow our 10-year rule, they're not as concerned if, you know, they have that 10 years worth of fixed income set aside for their needs. Um, You know, but you do have people, when everything looks great and the market's doing nothing but going up, they tend to be want want to be they tend to want to be more aggressive. Yeah, and, they want to you know, get in the, and not miss it. Right, they want to keep growing, 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 and it's amazing how when the market pulls back, they kind of forget all the growth that they got. Even though it's pulled back ten percent, the market's done what over the last few years? You know, a lot more exactly. than ten percent. That's, that's what's important to remember is we're going on what our our tenth year. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Of the bull market, it's not going to continue forever. You no. have to you have to be prepared that there are going to be these times of volatility and market fluctuations. The market just doesn't go up forever, right? And it's healthy to pull back. So, 
Um, year to date, we're looking at a positive return again on the S&P 500, up 4.7%. Um, not led by technology stocks anymore. Healthcare is the best returning uh, sector year to date, up 15.79%, followed by consumer discretionary up 9.75, information technology 8.33, and I think it's interesting kind of in the middle, you have the bond proxies, you've got utilities, and you've got real estate up 6.76% and almost 5% respectively. Um, so as you start to see these sell-offs, people are moving into those uh, you know, bond proxy, more safe haven types of, of sectors. So those have been gaining ground uh, in the last couple of months. If you look at the five-day return, we're up 3.84% over the previous five days. Um, and again, at, led by the top three sectors we saw year-to-date, consumer discretionary, healthcare, and information technology. And as I, as I said, uh, the last couple of days, we've gotten pretty good performance in the markets. Um, equities having some of their best days in a few months. And a lot of that was spurred by uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell coming out mm -hmm. and saying, and it was funny because in a statement, it, it was like two, two words that really drove markets. He came out and said that uh, benchmark interest rates were just below the neutral level, which means central bank basically is close to the point where they're not going to be, you know, necessarily aggressively tightening. They're not going to pump the brakes. So it's kind of like we're comfortable where we are right now. And that's following, you know, we're expect, still expecting a rate increase in December, but right. forecasts were for four more rate increases in 2019. So maybe that means, you know, a little more accommodative. Um, so, you know, stocks reacted positively to that. But something interesting to me is that's not getting much coverage is, okay, let's say the Fed only does two or three rate hikes next year. That's that's one half of the equation. But we're ignoring the fact that they're, they're still tightening by uh, – Reducing the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, they're not going out there and continue to buy bonds. They're, they're letting these uh, securities mature and roll off the balance sheet. And that in itself is a form of tightening that I think is not getting um, a whole lot of attention. So I think that, you know, it was a nice bump in the markets. And, and if the Fed does continue to get more dovish and hints that maybe we're going to pump the brakes a little bit, um, equity markets might respond favorably. But at the same time, if that's the case, you would likely think that's driven by a weakening in data and mm -hmm. economic fundamentals. So Really, two sides of the equation. It's hard to say, you know, does is it back to, you know, bad news is good news in a sense that, all right, you're seeing global growth slow, so the Fed is pumping the brakes. Well, okay, that's good for, you know, accommodative policy, but at the same time, economic fundamentals aren't good. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this in-between situation. Exactly. Uh -huh. and, exactly. And, you know, guessing what, what the outcome is going to be is hard to do. And you are starting to see kind of a, a, a slowdown in global growth. Uh, the U.S. is still holding up pretty well, but you look across at Germany and Japan, both had uh, their economies contract in the third quarter, mm -hmm. first time in, in years that you've seen that. Um, U.S. is still holding up well. We got a, our first revision to uh, third quarter GDP this week. Uh, the economy grew 3.5%, and that was down from, I think, 4.6% um, in the 4.2% in the second quarter, um, but still a pretty solid number. wasn't revised up or down, held in line, but... Uh, the economy looks strong domestically still is kind of the bottom line. On Tuesday, we got some housing data. Uh, Case-Shiller Home Price Index, existing home price appreciation decelerated in the three months ending in September. You had the 20-city index fall 5.1%. The 10-city composite fell 4.8%. And then the national average fell 5.5%. And housing is kind of one of the spots in the U.S. economy that, that has been weakening mm -hmm. uh, you know, tremendously. Rates are coming up. Home affordability um, isn't particularly attractive right now, and you're starting to see that flow through. Um, we also had new home sales data come out in the same vein. 
Uh, new home sales took a tumble in October. They were 8.9% below revised September totals and are now 12% below their October 2017 level. And you had sales fall in all four of the census regions. So, uh, you know, if, if you are in the market right now, you know, it's, it still seems pretty competitive. But at the same time, you're seeing, you know, new home sales are down. Uh, prices are coming down. So as a homeowner, those are things you start to be concerned about. A lot of people think back and say, oh, is this going to be, you know, another 2006, 2008? 2008, yeah. I don't think we're anywhere near that, that yeah. level, you know. It's not the uh, seller's market like it used to be. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. I'm not sure what average days, uh, you know, on the market are anymore, but yeah. surely it's not what it was uh, a few years ago. Uh, mortgage applications moved up during the week. Interesting there. You're seeing mortgage applications rise. Purchase applications were the main driver of the increase. They rose 8.8%, while refinancings ticked up uh, 0.5%. Uh, consumer confidence, we also got out on Tuesday, fell 2.2 points from last month to 135.7. It was way down by an overall drop in consumer expectations. But all in all, the consumer still looks strong. You're seeing uh, consumer spending pick up. Um, job growth continues to impress. And you know people are feeling confident in the economy. So slight pullback there, but nothing that's too concerning to us. Uh, Thursday, we got jobless claims. Jobless claims moved up a bit. Not really a big concern there. It's a weekly number. The trend still looks uh, you know, pretty favorable. Insured unemployment rate held flat at 1.2%. Also on Thursday, we got the latest personal income data. We saw personal incomes rise 0.5%. Growth in wages and salaries, the largest component of of that reading, was unchanged at 0.3% in October. So it was non-wage income that contributed the most uh, to the increase. So that's, you know, renter's income, things of that nature. And then lastly, I I mentioned Jerome Powell uh, came out and and spoke and kind of drove markets higher. Then today we got the FOMC minutes, so the minutes from the November meeting. And basically there was no big shock there, although it did kind of show that the Fed is going to, um, I guess, kind of play it by ear and maybe ease their forecasts and how open they are with their plans for future rate increases and just let it you know, be data dependent going forward instead of saying, all right, here's where we expect to be at the end of 2019. Well, instead of that, let's Let's see what the data says. And no you know? plan in stone. Just wait and see what happens first. Exactly, which yeah. I think is probably, you know, Ben Bernanke was the first one to really come out and be so transparent with exactly what the Fed's plan was going mm-hmm. forward. Um, before that, it, it was more of a wait and see kind of game. I think there's kind of benefits to, e- to either side of that. But I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Jerome Powell um, start to be a little more vague, you know, g- give some guidance, but not to the extent that you've seen uh, Janet Yellen or, or, or Ben, Bena- ben Bernanke um, do in the past. Um, if you look at interest rates for the week, we saw uh, rates pretty much fall across the board. Two-year fell about two basis points out to the 10-year, fell about four basis points. So yield curve still remains pretty flat. Mortgage rates fell 13 bips on the 30-year. The um, so that probably helped drive up those purchase applications as we saw before. Mm-hmm. So a lot going on in the economy. Next week is also going to be, uh, you know, a lot to take in, plenty of economic indicators, which we can dive into a bit and uh, also take some listener questions and dive into a uh, financial situation with you two. Dan, probably you'll be the most informative on this, on some year-end tax planning uh, for, for a family. Right. Well, uh, I think that's probably a good spot for us to go ahead and uh, take a break, pay some bills. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. She don't care about education. Motivation. He don't 
for the Dog of the Week. All right. It's everyone's favorite time of the show, except for, well, not really mine. <laughs> it's hard to fill in for Troy on the Dogs of the Week. He always seems to find the best ones. But this one's definitely uh, a good financial topic. Russian Bank says, we assigned a $12 billion loan to poor African state by mistake. The impoverished state of Central African Republic landed a windfall on Tuesday, at least on paper, when Russian state bank VTB reported it lent the country $12 billion, but the bank then said it was a clerical error and there was no such loan. And that's got to be disappointing to an impoverished nation. Mm-hmm who was lent $12 billion, more than six times the country's annual economic output. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, really, it can't be that much of a disappointment. If you're, if you're that country and you see that come through, you're, you, have to, you have to wait a to second. Know, exactly. this, this isn't right. We didn't even apply for it. Right. <laughs> I didn't realize Russia was so nice. They just yeah, want to give her $12 billion. That Putin guy, I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a country of 5 million people merging from secretary in conflict, so... It's a country who could use tons of money to hopefully build up that infrastructure and really jumpstart an economy. Um, but unfortunately for them, and it was how much? It was twelve reversed. billion. Twelve billion. billion. Dollars. Don't you think that they should have just left them like I don't know, half a billion as something? A, as hey, a, or bad. Here's yeah. something, yeah. and that's big money for them, I know. right? God, yeah, that would have been big money, even the half a billion. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eight hundred one, almost eight hundred two billion rubles was the equivalent. Mm. So unfortunately for them, it was it was all a trick, and they don't get to keep it. So Shoot. I think yeah, it, we're as finders keepers and <laughs> with, with that thing of the past now, you know. <laughs> well, did they already advance the money and well, put it in their the thing. account? At, at what point can you be like, oh yeah, yeah. no, sorry, sorry, it's already, already here. Spin it. We can't. <laughs> it's already we out. can't. We can't Quickly force it back. It. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it'll let us give half back, but that's mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's shift gears here, and we're going to dig into a financial situation um, that we've put together between a, a, a couple and kind of give some guidance on 2018 year-end tax planning. I know, Dan, you've pretty much put a tax plan together for them, yeah. um, so I'll just kind of quickly go through the basics of it. Mm-hmm. Danielle and Claus have an adjusted gross income of $275,000, a Georgia State tax bill around $16,000, and a mortgage interest deduction of $14,000. They have a property tax of $8,010 in Fulton County. Their house value is around $700,000, and they carry a mortgage of $375,000. In 2017, they paid an additional $5,000 in AMT, and in 2018, they will have $4,000 in child tax credits. All right. So what what, what can, can we they do? do? Well, essentially, you know, we've put this together this case study, so to speak, because we really want you to just be aware of what's out there for 2018. And this is now the time you've got about a month, if you haven't done anything, to start planning. And so the overarching thing here is that we just want you to be aware of what's out there, okay? So I've put together a tax plan for these people saying uh, what their tax liability would have been last year versus what it is this year. And, and based on that type of adjusted gross income and those deductions, they would have had a federal tax liability of about $53,000 last year. Now, under the new tax law, it goes down to about forty-five. 
So that's a nice savings to a family. Now, for that, be aware, for that $9,000 saving is because of the child tax credit. Okay. Because these people have two children under the age 17. So they and they're, they're, they're they are their dependents. Uh, so they would norm, they have social security numbers. They're U.S. children, U.S. citizens. So a lot of those things you have to qualify for this new tax children tax credit or child tax credit. But if you do, uh, it's really good. And your income have, can't be has to be below a certain level. Once it reaches about four hundred thousand dollars for a married couple, that starts phasing out. You don't okay. get that child credit anymore. Okay. And once it reaches 440, it's completely phased out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so because of that, there to the four, so four again of that nine thousand dollars savings is going to be because of the child care credit or child tax credit, uh, which is really pretty good. Now the other thing to consider is what were their deductions? We talked about that they had mortgage interest, I believe, of about uh, what was it? Uh, Fourteen thousand. Fourteen thousand right. dollars. Okay. All right. The mortgage rules now are, and I suspect that they've had their home for a while because, uh, you know, they've got Family. a $700,000 home. They've got a $375,000 right. Okay. If you were under the old tax laws, you can deduct mortgage interest on up to $1.1 million on a mortgage to interest on it, okay? Uh, as of this year, actually sometime it was like December 15th or 20th of last year when this new tax bill came into being, they dropped that. So you can now have you can now deduct mortgage interest on a mortgage of up to seven hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, so just as an example, if you had a million dollar mortgage, and and let me just say let me go back a second. That's mortgages that started after that date. So if you're under the old, if your mortgage is a twenty seventeen mortgage or twenty sixteen, you're under the old law yet. Okay. okay? So let's say you just bought a house in 18 and, it's a, and you have a million-dollar mortgage. Well, you're only going to be able to deduct you know, seven, up to 750 or 75% of that mortgage interest. So that's essentially how it works, okay? Okay. Now, if you've got a million-dollar mortgage, I'm sure you've got income to accommodate it, so it can't be it's too bad. probably the least of can't be too bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so getting back to that. So they're going to probably be able to take all of their mortgage interest, okay, uh, on their property taxes, which is about $8,000, and on their – Georgia state tax bill, which is 16, that adds up to about 24. Now, the new tax law also says that you are limited to $10,000 overall for all state, it's called SALT, state and local taxes. And that includes state income taxes, local income taxes, if you're in a city or a state that has those, uh, personal property taxes, the old ad valorem taxes, some people still pay those, uh, and also then your uh, your real estate taxes. Okay? Now, was this previously, what what was the limit on that? There wasn't. There wasn't. There okay, wasn't. That's what I okay. Yeah. So now, so it's a, that's a huge change, and, and it's really hurting people in a lot of the high higher uh, uh, state tax states and things like that, and, and higher real estate tax states, they're all up in arms and not too happy with this particular little provision. Sure. But for this particular case, instead of the, the 16 and the 8, they're going to only be limited to 10 there. So they'll get the 10 there, and they'll get the 14. That gives them, and th- th- we didn't talk about contributions, but that gives them right at 24. Well, ironically, 24 is the standard deduction for a married couple. So... Uh, and it's important uh, in Georgia now because the standard deduction in Georgia is different than the standard deduction for the federal. And if you take standard deduction on the federal, you must take the standard deduction in Georgia, okay? And it's a lot lower. 
So if this couple, and this is one of my suggestions, just give $50 to your church. It'll get you over the $24,000. They'll be at $24,50, which then puts them under itemized deductions for the federal and allows them to take the whole $24,50 as an itemized deduction for the state. Ah. Prior to this, their state itemized deduction would only be about $6,000. Well, that's why it's so important for people to plan because because if you don't look at it and know and you get to the end of the year and you're you're doing your tax return Mm -hmm. in February for... April. Yes, you're. you're it's too you late. Can't do it. Yeah, it's which I think is very common too. All the oh, time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Ninety probably ninety five percent of people do their tax return in February for last year, mm-hmm. right. and, and really didn't think about what they could have done in in November, October, December to plan for the current year. Yeah, it's it, 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 We've it, got time yet. But look at your tax return now. Yeah, okay. and, and and you know, I, I've kind of learned this over the years working with you guys and, and mm-hmm. like talking to John Dixon is. You guys know the tax code so well. There's so many important decisions you can make that affect your situation that, you know, you may say, oh, I don't want to go pay to see someone to get advice on this, but mm-hmm. it could pay for itself oh, very absolutely. easily. More than pay for it. Yeah. Another mm-hmm. thing, this particular couple last year in 2017, they would have been under the alternative minimum tax, as they mentioned. They had about a $5,000 in alternative minimum tax. This year, because of the new tax laws, uh, and one of the things that created alternative minimum tax was high income taxes and high real estate taxes. But because you're limited on that this year to $10,000, it's knocking most people out of the alternative minimum tax category. Well, this particular couple would not have alternative minimum taxes in 2018. Okay, and that's another thing that people need to consider. And I would say try to do a tax plan before the end of the year, see where you're at. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we'll get in, in our next segment because we're – really running out of time for this particular one, but we'll get into what we can do yet this year, okay? But uh, also, you know, one of the other new things this year is uh, is just being aware of your state implications. And uh, you, you still, you know, you can, you, like I said, if you take one, if you itemize for feds, you must itemize for state, okay, and vice versa. Sure. If you take standard deductions for fed, you must take a standard deduction for the state. So go back and look and see where you stand right now. If you're a married couple, make sure you've got over $24,000 in itemized deductions. Okay? And if it's just a matter of giving 50 bucks more to your church to get you... Yeah, over, well, there's a lot of things that could get you to that. Yeah, you know, you just absolutely. need to figure out what's going to be the best for you and, right. and, and the most And things you don't think about. Most people at some point have done some sort of charitable giving throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, don't let that slip through your mind because that could be the difference maker. Right. And there is, uh, and this year, you know, we'll, and we'll get into it some more a little in a few minutes, but uh, like medical expenses are, are one thing. This year, the limit is 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. Well, in 2019, that jumps up to 10%. So if you've got medical expenses or you can prepay them, and if it's going to make be a deduction for you this year, by all means, accelerate that and get it yeah, into absolutely. 2018. Mm-hmm. Okay, because the threshold is lower. Absolutely. Well, those are uh, great year-end tax tips, and we'll come back a little bit more and dig into some listener questions. After the break, you're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Talks. Just before the break, we were talking about a tax situation uh, here, Dan. 
um, between a couple and kind of evaluating their situation, maybe some tax planning advice for them, mm-hmm. um, how to make the best of their situation and, and minimize their tax bill at the end of the year. And off the air, we were talking about what are some things that you can still do in 2018, you know, as we approach the end of the year, um, that will benefit you? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there are a number of things we can all look at. Uh, number one, we need, again, we talked about with this particular couple, the standard deduction now being increased to 24000 right. Okay. Now, be aware also in this new tax law, we've also lost personal exemptions, so they're no longer exist. So if you've got three or four children now, and the husband and the wife, instead of getting, you know, about a $20,000 deduction, that's gone, okay? So now the only thing you're left with as a husband and wife is the $24,000. And maybe the child, care, child tax credit, right. considering where, what the age of the children and your income bracket. So that's just one more thing I want to mention on that. Uh, but we also want to always consider opportunities to maybe defer income to the next year if we can do that, Okay. Uh, I mean, maybe if you're getting a bonus or something like that, or uh, you can maybe ask them if they'll pay it in the next paycheck in the first of the year, uh, or if they're, uh, you know, if you've got rents coming from a business or something like that, tell them to defer it till next month sure. or payments for services, things like that. So uh, if you can postpone income, that's always a good thing. And of course, then the other opposite of that is accelerate deductions. Again, we just talked about medical deductions, the threshold falling from or going from 7.5% this year up to 10% of your adjusted growth income next year. So that tells me if I've got medical expenses, they're going to be more deductible this year than they will next. So try to accelerate those into this year year. if you can. Okay? You've got a number of factors also going. if you look at your withholdings, where you are year to date, this is going to be critical this year because the new withholding tables really didn't come out until near the end of February. We were under the old withholding tables for the first, second, first and second month, and then under the new ones for about the last 10. And I think it's got a lot of people confused. And just make sure your income and your withholdings, you know, everybody's thinking, well, I'm going to get a huge tax deduction or, in, or a refund based on the fact that I had X dollars withheld last year. Well, the tables were all lowered this year to, so you could get immediate tax benefit, okay? So don't shortchange yourself and think that I'm still going to get the same refund on the same income last year, okay, or a better one because the tax rates have gone down because they've also t- the, low, the withholding tables have gone down. So check your withholdings before the end of the year. Make sure you've got enough paid in. And if not, try to get that you know, covered before the end of the year or, or make an estimated payment. Sure. On, on the topic of paychecks, what about like retirement contributions, taking your RMDs, things That's like another that? Another great idea is that maximize retirement savings if you can. If you've got an employer 401k and you haven't, tried, you haven't maximized it or, or as much as you can put into it, afford to put into it, by all means do that. That comes right off the top of your W-2 of your income that you get taxed on, okay? And if, and if you can't do that, you don't have a 401k, well, you've got an IRA you can do. Start an IRA if you don't have one. You have until April the 15th to make that IRA contribution. So it doesn't have to be done before the end of the year. So that's a great thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? Uh, and then again, on the flip side of that, if you're at the point in life where you've retired, and be sure you've taken your required minimum distributions, okay? Because if you're age 70 and a half, you are now required to start taking money out of your retirement plans, except for your Roth plans. And if okay? you don't, what's the penalty well, on? If you don't, if you don't take it, the penalty is 50% of what you were wow. required. Wow, 50% yeah. of your mm-hmm. So that is onerous. So you know that could be it huge. Is. Absolutely. So by all means, be aware of that if you're 70 and a half, start taking your required minimum distributions. Uh, what else do we got? We've got a, a bunch of un- on investment decisions. Look at see what's been done this year in your portfolio. 
You know, if you if you have gains, you know, I mean, the market we were talking about, the market's been up, up, up for so many, like the last 10 years. Now, you, we've had a pullback, so you may have some recent positions that you've purchased that are now at a loss. And if you can take a loss and offset some of those gains, now's the time to look at that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Think about things like a- Apple. Right. You know, most mm-hmm. people, have, if you've owned Apple for any amount of time, you have a pretty substantial gain in it. It's gone up, up, up. Well, the stock's pulled back 20%. So this may, if you're looking to take some chips off the table, mm-hmm. um, obviously, ideally, it would have been when it was at the high. But now you can, if, if for whatever reason, you've It'll lessened save your you some gain. Tax or, yeah, exactly. Save, yeah, save tax some tax and it doesn't mean that you don't have to, that you're giving up that position forever. No. You know, what you do is you sell it at a loss, you wait 31 days, and you can purchase it back. Exactly. So that way you can, um, you know, repurchase the stock and still own it. It doesn't mean that you have right. to get rid of it. Right. And to do that, typically what we do with our clients is let's say we sell sell out of Apple. We'll place you in an index fund Mm -hmm. for uh, a sector fund for that given sector. So Apple technology. And what that allows you to do is participate in the upside, hopefully, of that sector and the Mm -hmm. performance of that sector um, while not staying invested, you know, 100 percent in that same security because you obviously can't do that. Um, So it's it's a great time of year to, to look at these sorts of decisions um, realize the, the losses that you can to, set, to offset some of those gains, and also a great time to rebalance your portfolio. I feel like we, you know, we talk about this frequently, but what better time than end of the year, beginning of the new year, to kind of evaluate your portfolio? Am I in line with you know, where I stated I wanted to be, or has my portfolio, you know, maybe I started at a 60-40 stock-to-bond uh, allocation, and maybe I'm closer to 70-30 now. Um, end of year is a great time to kind of evaluate those sorts of investment decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing we talk about, speaking of capital gains, if you do end up with capital gains, that's one of the components of what they call net investment income, mm-hmm. capital gains, interest, dividends, and a few other things. Well, that has an extra 3.8% tax on it mm-hmm. if, when you get above certain income thresholds. So if you ha- can harvest, as you guys call it, harvesting your losses uh-huh. sure, and offsetting that, you're going to save another 3.8% on that on yeah. top of it. So it's, it's critical that you think about that at the end of the year. Uh, also, consider converting your traditional IRA to to a Roth IRA if you can afford it and you're in a position to do that. Uh, you know, one of the, the beautiful thing about that is, you know, again, on Roth, you never pay tax once you've paid because you don't get a deduction for putting it in. So right. it's, it's after tax dollars. And if you roll it from a regular IRA to a Roth, you're going to pay tax then on whatever you take out of the regular IRA. But once it's in your in your Roth, you never pay tax again. On, right. So on that can grow tax and free. Can, and then when you draw from it. Absolutely. When you hit 59 and a half, you start taking out and you own the, the uh, Roth IRA at least five years, there's no tax on whatever you take out. And mm-hmm. it's a beautiful vehicle to pass on for it's for an inheritance yes. as well. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think those are all some really good end of, uh, end of year tax tips and investment tips as whole. Is there anything else you want to add? And for we no, also considering if, if people got health savings accounts, look into those FSA plans. Yeah. Make sure you've maximized on all those things because those are all very helpful. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dan. And don't forget donating to your charities. That always that always helps everybody. Yes, and, and bottom line here is if your financial situation is complicated, um, it's worth you know reaching out and, and talking to a tax professional um, to hopefully save yourself money in, in the long term. So, Dan, thank you for that. Um, I think we'll shift gears here a little bit now and uh, take some listener questions. Um, you can send us your qu- questions throughout the week. Uh, you can call them into our question hotline at 1-855-429-9166. Leave us a voicemail there, and we'll answer them on the air. Or you can email us at drgene 
D-R-G-E-N-E at Hensler.com, H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. Um, so we'll take a couple of quick ones here before I have to jump to a break. Um, this first one is Larry from Woodstock. He writes, I was talking to my broker, and he mentioned something about an ex-dividend date on some of my holdings. I heeded his advice, but I really don't know what an ex-dividend date, dividend date is. Can you explain? So, yeah, Larry, it's actually really simple. There's two important dates you need to focus on when determining if you're going to receive a dividend from a stock, the record date and the ex-dividend date. Now, neither of these are going to be the date in which you receive it, but, again, they're important if you want to receive it. So when a company declares a dividend, it's going to set a record date when you must be on the company's books as a shareholder to receive that dividend. Once that date's set, the ex-date, the ex-dividend date, is set based on exchange rules, which call for a two-day settlement. So if I purchase Apple stock today, it's going to take two uh, business days for that stock to settle. Um, so the ex-dividend date is the date after which people buying shares would not be entitled to the dividend. The ex-dividend date is usually two days prior to the record date in order to give the custodian time to register all new shareholders. So bottom line is if you buy shares prior to the ex-dividend date, you're good to go. You're going to receive the dividend. If you buy it after that, don't count on that quarter or semi-annual dividend. Now, you'll get it in the next one, but not in that particular case. But you shouldn't really worry about whether or not you're buying it before or after the the ex-dividend date because typically what happens is on the ex-dividend date – the stock drops in value by the in amount accordance. of the dividend. You're right. So, you're, right. so what happens is they've taken that dividend out and they're paying it to the shareholders. So now you're buying the stock at a lower price. You will get the next dividend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a one so dividend benefit of it. Mm-hmm. One dividend payment should never drive your investment decision. No. If, if you have conviction in buying a particular name, you should do that regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not you're going to receive the dividend. Because, again, you know, it's, it's investing. You should be forward-looking. And, and you should be buying it with, with the notion that you'll continue to receive that dividend, and hopefully they'll grow the dividend in the future. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and they do the record date and X date, even with you know with stock splits, it's the same thing. It is. You know, because sometimes people are trying to buy it before it splits, or you know, not and not buy it after. But it really shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. You're going to buy more shares after the split at the, you know, at a different price. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, good first question. We're going to take a quick break and come back and list and answer some more of our listener questions. You're listening to Money Talks. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm research analyst Nick Antonucci, joined today by Jennifer Thomas from our planning department and Dan Deluzio from our tax department. And uh, we'll jump back in to listen to some of our uh, listener questions, answering some of our listener questions. I can't seem to say that right today. Listen to our listener questions when I should say answer our listener questions. Nonetheless, let's dig into them, guys. Um, Jennifer, this is probably more in your wheelhouse. Arthur from Morrow uh, wrote in, what are the new rules for 401k hardship withdrawals? Well, the... Bipartisan Budget Act passed um, in early 2018 relaxed some of those rules. Um, Not all plans offer hardship withdrawals, but the ones that do um, are required to comply with um, with the new rules. And in order to take a hardship withdrawal from a 401k or a similar plan, they have to demonstrate what they call an immediate and heavy financial need. 
and that is defined by the IRS. Um, certain expenses are determined to be immediate and heavy, which include certain medical expenses, costs related to the purchase of a principal residence, tuition and related education fees and expenses, payments necessary to prevent eviction from or foreclosure on a principal residence, burial or funeral expenses, and certain expenses for the repair or damage to the employee's principal residence. Um, it's and these are there's caps on these too, is there not? Well, I think it's what they can they can pull out only what is needed for that particular need. They okay. can't pull out any more than that. It's that plus the taxes due for that need, you know, or yeah, the withdrawal. You have to have receipts and prove that. Right. Right. So you have to purpose. kind of prove what it's for. Um, it's not considered um, uh, an immediate or heavy financial need. Um, you know, for some things like if if you they look at both the husband and the spouse, so they look at it's not just one or the other. But like if you have a vacation home, you know, things like that that they're going to look at differently than they will, um, you know, your personal residence. Sure, primary residence. So you have to just kind of really um, check to see whether or not it will fit in those categories. Um, some of the uh, current rules, which are going to change uh, in 2019, uh, to determine if a hardship withdrawal is qualified, an employer may rely on an employee's written statement that the need cannot be met using other financial resources. Um, those resources include insurance, liquidation of other, other assets, or commercial loans. Um, in many cases, an employee may also be required to take a plan loan first. Um, withdrawal proceeds can generally only come from the participants' own elective deferrals as well as non-elective contributions, matching contributions, um, and certain other amounts. Um, and finally, individuals who take a hardship withdrawal are prohibited from making contributions to the plan and therefore receiving any related matching contributions for six months. But beginning in 2019, participants will no longer be required to exhaust the plan loan options first. Um, withdrawal amounts can also come from earnings on participant deferrals as well as qualified non-elective and matching contributions and earnings. And the participants will no longer be barred from contributing to the plan for six months. Yeah, so, so. I mean... Uh the rules can be complicated. It's a lot, to take, a lot to take in at once, but you can get a copy of these, I'm sure, from your plan provider. If this is a situation you find yourself in, mm -hmm. reach mm -hmm. out to your plan provider. And I'm all, sure all they these can walk you plans have different nuances. Sure, so you yeah. definitely need a copy from your yeah, plan absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you just need to go to your, mm -hmm. you know, your um, HR department, and they mm -hmm. can get you in contact with who you need to to find out the provisions for your plan. Absolutely. Well, complicated question. Um, good answer. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, our next question came in from Adam via Twitter, and you can submit your questions via Twitter as well. Use the hashtag AskHensler um, and, you know, tweet us in your questions. We'd love to answer them. Uh, this particular one is something I, I love seeing this one because it's something I've owned in the past. And um, what do you think of Square? I bought shares in 2015 and then sold them mid-2017 before its bump. I got, got in again during a price dip in December 2017. The past month has been a little rocky, just really looking for some guidance. Um, and, yeah, if you got back in, in December 2017, you've done quite well. It's about doubled since then. Um, I bought uh, Square a couple years ago, I think around 10. It got up to 20. I was like, oh, 100% gain. I don't think it really has the momentum to go higher. It went up to $101 earlier this year. So uh, you're doing you're doing better than I did for sure. 
Um, but just because it continues to go up like that doesn't mean there's, it's not the right time to sell. Um, and for those of you who don't know what Square is, if you've ever gone to, let's say, a farmer's market or kind of like a, uh, a small business, a boutique, something like that, and they've swiped your card on that white-looking iPad machine, chances are that's, uh, that's a Square machine. They've basically pioneered the micro-merchant card acceptance um, and, and have seen tremendous growth. In about nine years, they've grown to about $80 billion in annualized card volume, serving more than 2 million active sellers. Um, and they continue to show impressive growth. Revenue is growing 29% year over year still in the third quarter. Um, but that being said, the company's growth has started to come from a different business segment. Uh, you won't hear a lot about this, but Square Capital provides small business loans. And in Q3, Square Capital facilitated over 62,000 business loans for a total of $405 million. That's a 34% increase from 2017. So you have to recognize that the business is changing and that's the growth isn't necessarily going to come from payment volumes as it has in the past. And as the business changes to these kind of small business loans, the risk profile of the company changes. You know, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not the same relying on transactions only where if, you know, things, things go down, hopefully, you know, obviously revenues are going to come down, but they'll be able to weather the storm differently than if we have a credit crunch and, you know, credit quality in the U.S. continues to deteriorate they're holding these loans that, uh, you know, potentially could be bad. So I, I think probably at the valuation it's at right now, it's fully valued in my opinion, um, down around $70. So it's off that $101 high that we saw earlier in the year. But you've doubled your money. I think it's probably time to take some chips off the table. If you still wanted to kind of have some exposure, I'd say at least sell half of it. And then, you know, you're kind of playing with the house's money from there on out. Mm -hmm. uh, my personal opinion is that, you know, it does look pricey at these levels and, and the company is changing. Uh, so it's probably a good time to go ahead and pull the trigger on, on that sell. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that answered a uh, question for you. Uh, next, I hold shares of Rosetta Stone. This is Brent from Vinings. I bought it thinking that multilingual, sorry, multilingual would be the next niche in business. So more people would be brushing up on their Spanish, German, Japanese, etc. And it did well over the last year. I nearly doubled my money. Now the forecast is a little more than 15% growth uh, for next year. Is it worth holding on to? And really, if you look at over the last month, it's pulled back significantly, uh, some 20%. Uh, Rosetta Stone is a name I'd stay away from. It's very competitive. Uh, you've got competitors like Babbel, Fluentu, Berlitz, uh, Duolingo that are gaining a lot of share in the market. So Rosetta Stone suffering. They haven't reported uh, positive revenue growth in more than six years. Earnings are negative. Companies continuing to take on more debt. And while they do seem to have a new CEO in there who's kind of driving the company in a new direction, I haven't seen that come to fruition yet. It's, you know, the company's not really proven itself. So at this point, I'd stay away. If you have a gain in it especially, take your money and run from this one. Um, it doesn't meet our investment criteria, and it's not something we would recommend that you hold on to in the future. Uh, next one, one more planning one here. Edward from Kennesaw, do military, military retirement benefits affect Social Security? Generally, there's no reduction in Social Security benefits. Um, you can collect both Social Security benefits and military retirement pay once you reach a certain time threshold in, activity, um, in, in active duty, the reserves or the National Guard. Um, you, also, you can get your full Social Security benefit based on your earnings history. And in addition, if you participate in the Department of Defense program, 
survivor benefit plan, the amount paid to the surviving plan beneficiary is no longer reduced when the beneficiary is eligible for Social Security. All right. Well, guys, don't have too much time left on the show, so I kind of want to spend the last minute or so uh, talking about the the week ahead. Um, you know, we've seen volatility in the markets the past few weeks. This week uh, seems like we're going to close on a positive note so far. Uh, recording this on Thursday, and things look good. Um, but looking ahead to the, to next week, we've got an employment situation. We've got ISM manufacturing services, three big data points that'll kind of probably drive the market. Um, and then you know we'll look ahead to couple weeks from now when we have our uh, final Fed meeting of the year, 80% likelihood that we get another Fed increase. You know, the language coming out of there, does that, you know, spur fear in the market so that the, the Fed will keep their the pedal to the metal? Um, I don't know. Um, but all in all, I think, you know, stay the course. Uh, you know, if you're invested for the long term, especially, don't let these small little hiccups scare you too much and uh, I guess we'll give our forecast for the week ahead I think we'll be higher next week what do you guys think I'm going to say up I'm I'm with you All right, we're optimistic well thank you for listening to Money Talks have a great weekend all material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current but accuracy cannot be guaranteed The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments, It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.